Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody, and how's it going? I'm Alex Goldstick, and you are listening to the Spring Forward Podcast. It's been a great few weeks for Spring League alumni since our last episode, and as of today's recording, 42 of the Spring League's former players are playing professional football. Two Spring League alums, Johnny Manziel and McLeod Bethel Thompson, have won CFL starting quarterback jobs for their respective teams. Wide receiver Jalen Saunders continues to put up gigantic receiving numbers for his Hamilton Tiger Cats. 16 former Spring League players have begun NFL training camp, including Blake Jackson, who we look forward to watching on HBO's Hard Knocks with the Cleveland Browns. And last but not least, 21 of the Spring League's former players have reached deals to play in the Alliance of American Football to continue their professional football careers. Speaking of the Alliance, the AAF is the topic of today's pod. We talked to former NFL executive Randy Mueller, who is now the GM of the Alliance Salt Lake City team. To learn more about the league and this amazing opportunity for professional football talent, let's get to the interview. Randy Mueller is a professional football executive whose NFL career spans four decades and includes stops with the Seattle Seahawks, New Orleans Saints, Miami Dolphins, and we'll call them the Southern California Chargers. In 2000, he was named the NFL Executive of the Year for building a Saints team that would win their first playoff game in franchise history. In 2018, he left the Chargers after 11 years to become the general manager of Alliance Salt Lake, one of eight founding teams that will make up the brand new league, Alliance of American Football. That will kick off in February of next year. Randy, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Alex. Good to be with you. So we usually go through our guests' football stories chronologically, um, but because the AAF is so new and probably still an unknown to a lot of sports fans out there, I want to start off talking about that. Um, there sure. are some gigantic football names associated with the league's front office, um, from Bill Polian to Troy Polamalu, Heinz Ward, Justin Tuck, Jared Allen, um, and then with the individual teams who have made splashy head coaching hires like uh, Steve Spurrier, Mike Singletary, Mike Martz, Brad Childress, and more. Um, can you just give us a quick introduction to what the Alliance of American Football is and then where it stands in the landscape of professional football? Well, obviously, it's a, a startup league, Alex, and uh, 
the names you mentioned are all reasons that I jumped on board as well. It's a great combination of not only the on the field knowledge and wisdom and experience, but off the field as well. The, uh, Charlie Ebersol is the co-founder with Bill Polian, and he brings a ton to the table with regard to uh, things that the league will represent off the field. And uh, I think the combination of those guys really has a lot of a lot of us that have kind of signed on on the inside really excited about it. You know, basically it is, is a well-funded, well-thought-through plan, um, a league that is very exciting for us, even those that have, of us that have been in football forever. You know, with eight teams, the names you mentioned, um, the window of opportunity now that we will play in the spring and give a lot of kids that deserve to play in, the, in professional ball a chance to do so. It's exciting, and and I've you know been on board now for a month, maybe month and a half, and I have uh, been astounded by the uh, the talent that we've been able to find and the people that we've been able to sign. Um, I think it's going to be an awesome deal going forward, and I'm very excited about it. Now, un- unfortunately, there's a long and not so successful history of professional football leagues not named the NFL in the United States. Um, the Spring League was founded in response to some of the shortcomings of those past leagues, um, but operates more as a series of scouting events rather than a league with teams and stadiums and a regular season, etc. Um, what is it about the AAF that you think is different or has it primed to succeed where other traditional leagues have not? Because uh, there's certainly a ton of firepower and big name recognition that have been hired by Alliance already that we mentioned. I think the biggest chance, the biggest reason going forward is the people that they've been able to involve and the planning that's been done to this point. I think it's, it's even known in NFL circles and I was in there for many years. We all used to complain about, Hey, there's no league to develop players. You know, the old world league, the NFL Europe league, we sent a ton of players. We as in the NFL at that time sent a ton of players to that league to develop and we would come back and get back a totally different player who would go for 8, 10, 12 weeks to play in that league. You know, the Kurt Warners of the world, the John Kittners of the world, Jake Delhomes of the world, those guys all got their chance to, to really succeed by getting to play under live conditions in real game-type stadiums and situations. And there's, there's no developing, no, no other way to develop players, uh, no better way anyway, than for them to do it under live conditions. The AAF's first 100 players to sign with the league was announced uh, this past Monday. Um, 19 of those initial players were Spring League alum, and your Salt Lake City squad was responsible for three of them. Um, There are some regional player allocation procedures in the AAF to ensure local markets are interested in their teams, Um, but none of the three guys um, that I just that we are going to mention seem to fit into those allocations. So if you don't mind, um, I want to go through those three guys individually with you and, and get your quick initial reactions. So the first, let's lead off with Ty Schwab. Ty's a linebacker out of Boston College who was with us in San Diego for the showcase last month. Ty was a kid that came out of Boston College and injured himself during his pro day. So a lot of scouts, a lot of NFL people kind of turned away from him at that point. He was a very productive, slightly undersized inside linebacker, at Boston College, but a leader, a playmaker, and actually led their team in tackles last year. Um, I look to Ty as a guy that is exactly what this league's for. Um, his timing of his injury cost him an opportunity in the NFL. Now he can come to us, play during the spring, and, and I'm sure we'll get looked at by NFL uh, scouts and NFL evaluators. Uh, next up is offensive lineman George Roberts. He's from Delta State, and he was also a part of the Spring League Showcase last month. Yes, George is a big kid that I've had my eye on since last year. They had a little uh, 
Gridiron Classic in Dallas in January, and I saw him first then. Um, obviously, like you said, he came to the Spring League in San Diego and showed more exposure. The, the, the big position of need in our league, I think, will be offensive linemen and offensive tackles in particular, and George fits that bill. Um, like I said, he's a big kid, just needed an opportunity to, to, to really uh, face top-notch players and top-notch talent, and he'll get that in our league. And then finally, we have tight end Steve Donatell from Wake Forest, and he was with the Spring League in Austin this April. Um, so do you remember how he came across your desk as, as you were only on the ground, as far as I know, in San Diego? Yes, his name came across our desk really because he's the son of longtime NFL coach Ed Donatell. And so um, his agent is also a friend of mine who had reached out to, to me to, to make sure he had an opportunity. We did a little study with him and, and in and about him. And uh, he's a guy that I think will play in the league. I'm not sure he'll end up being with us because his dad has a lot of ties other places in the league as well. But we thought it would be good to get him under contract and, and uh, obviously ensure his opportunity to at least compete for a job once we get rolling in January. So those are the three guys that have signed so far, um, you know, that have overlap between the Spring League and your team. Um, but even this week, more signings have been announced than just the first hundred. Um, I've seen some rumblings on social media, but I don't want to blow anything up that might not be official. Um, do you know of any other Spring League alum that you're able to share with us that you might have signed since Monday that weren't in that initial hundred? Boy, that's a good question. I have talked to so many guys the last <laughs> few days, Alex, that... Um, you know, we haven't signed any more that I'm aware of out of that spring league. We've sure talked to a lot of people. Um, the other thing we did was we had some unallocated, um, unallocated players, an exercise or two to kind of uh, assign those guys rights to AAF teams. And that's been done as well. So I think you'll see a lot more guys signed out of that spring league. It just hasn't happened officially like yet, like you mentioned. So as we alluded to uh, earlier, you know, a lot of guys in Alliance are still looking for that NFL shot. Um, so can you tell us what happens if a player that signs with Alliance gets an NFL deal um, before AAF begins play? Well, we will have an open-door policy allowing them to go back to the NFL to play. Um, that's been a big uh, part of our uh, the Alliance procedures and protocols. We've always wanted to have that friendly nature for our guys to not give up their chance to play in the NFL, but to come to us in the interim and then able to go back when they do get a contract offer. So that window will be there. Obviously, when we get closer to camp uh, in December and January, I think the commitment will be even more so on the player side to have to join us full time. Um, and obviously, the NFL season will be winding down then as well. But they're going to have that window to be able to go back and, uh, in fact, we've kind of got com agreements with two or three guys uh, who ended up getting NFL offers a week or two later. So if something happens to where they don't make it there, they will obviously be welcome back to our team. So um, the, the road to the NFL is not stopped when a guy commits to the AAF, that's for sure. Now, the Spring League is, you know, serves a purpose of getting guys back on film, whether it is to get into the NFL, the CFL, now the AAF, giving guys, you know, an added opportunity. Um, as a front office executive, how was your experience on the ground at the Spring League Showcase in San Diego um, as far as the talent level you saw and the players that were accepted to participate in the Spring League? Well, it was, it was top-notch really on all fronts. Uh, Brian Woods, the, the kind of conductor of the Spring League, did a great job in acquiring some talent to bring it in there. And we as scout, scouts and talent evaluators 
can find diamonds in the rough if they're just presented to us. And that's what he did. They're coached by NFL coaches. They're coached by a, a series of guys who all probably should be coaching in the NFL at this point. So the coaching they get at the spring league is great. The organization was really good. And for us, a, a starting up league like the Alliance of American football, it presented a, a really a quick window of two, two, two days where we could look at talent and decide for ourselves if these are guys we want to add to our team. So all in all, it was a great experience. So going back to the uh, the Salt Lake team, um, as far as I know, the biggest football team in town would be the University of Utah, uh, which has fielded some championship contending teams in recent memory. Uh, the Alliance Salt Lake team will also be playing their home games in the Ute Stadium. Uh, BYU is less than an hour down the road from Salt Lake City. Uh, and beyond that, you'll be in season at the same time as the Jazz of the NBA. Um, have you gotten a good read so far uh, on the appetite for professional football uh, in Salt Lake City? Well, I'm actually in Salt Lake as we speak right now, and I'm starting to get um, some of that read. It's been really a great couple of days that I've been here, and I'm looking at facilities and trying to get us set up into where our offices will be. Um, we obviously already have a good connection with the University of Utah in, playing, in, in planning to play our games in their stadium. So there's some synergy already. Salt Lake is a great sports town, and I think, again, the window by which we're going to play in the spring, although it's going to be cold a little bit here in Salt Lake, I think the people are excited about it. Everybody that I've encountered in my uh, stops here have all been excited about it. Obviously, we have to get the word out, and, and the marketing part of it is to come, but everybody seems very wide open to the fact that we're going to be here and add another team to to really a sports landscape in Salt Lake that has some history. So I'm, I'm excited about that, and, and, and I think people will be in time. We know what kind of opportunity a new league of this magnitude presents for the players um, who really only have the NFL and the CFL to aspire to. Um, but as someone who has been in professional football front offices since 1983, I think I read, um, what kind of opportunity does this present for you? I mean, after all, every executive in pro sports basically walks into a team that another front office has created and has to put their own identity on it. So what is it like, even in these early stages, to be able to build a team and a league essentially from scratch? Well, I think it's good and bad. It's always been on my list, Alex, to kind of do something like this. And like you say, I've spent 30-some years in the NFL, and a couple teams where I went felt like an expansion team, like taking them over. So so it's not entirely new to me. Um, and yes, it is. But this is truly one from scratch. So that part has been challenging. It's been exciting. It's definitely been revigorating for me. Um, I think uh, in the end, it'll be maybe the most satisfying. And what we've done is we'll not only offer opportunities for players, but for coaches, for other front office people. I'll have some people in personnel working for me. I'll have departments uh, just like NFL teams, just like NBA teams do, where we're going to have employed uh, many people in the, in the area of Salt Lake. So uh, a lot of times it's a matter of maybe some younger folks who have some experience and just giving them a little longer rope to develop in director-type roles. And that's the exciting part to me is I get a chance to not only build from scratch, but maybe mentor some other ones in some areas uh, in football and outside of football. So that's been fun as well. So we've alluded to your NFL career a lot. And you know I wish these episodes were an hour, hour and a half for some guests so we could dive into it all. Um, but let's get back to that part of your career and, and go through your story. Uh, how did you get your start in the business and land your first role with Seattle in 1983? 
Well, I grew up in a little logging town in northern Idaho, St. Mary's, Idaho, and believe it or not, I got a job as a ball boy one year in Cheney, Washington, where the Seahawks trained. I was 17 years old. It was 1978, and uh, somehow I got a job as a ball boy. I worked four or five summers all through high school and through college, and uh, I was lucky enough that the Seahawks were making changes in 1983 in their front office, and they hired me right out of Linfield College to come be a kind of a gopher in the front office. Literally 15, 16 years later, I was the boss. So it's kind of a crazy story, but I started, uh, like I said, from, from the bottom and worked my way up, uh, over the years and, and got a lot of experience in a lot of different ways, really in, in hands on doing things in, in the front office of an NFL team, which again, the opportunities are what people need. And I was fortunate that I used those opportunities to kind of do good and, and, and kind of shine when, when time, uh, when the spotlight was on and, and it, it helped my career, no doubt about it. And I was there all the way to 2000, like you said, before going to the Saints as their general manager. So from ball boy to the top, when was the first time in your career that you were the top executive in charge of player personnel moves? Oh boy, you're texting my own memory now. I remember the first drafts where I was really in charge of in Seattle where, uh, Pete Kendall was our first round pick. Joey Galloway was up there. Um, those guys were picked in the first two or three drafts. So you're going to have to help me on dates and times, but those were really the first drafts where, where, uh, I had, uh, maybe not the final say, but it was prominent in making those decisions with the coach and, and the other guys in the department. Now, the young football fan may not remember, but there was a time when the Saints were the poster team for futility in American sports. Uh, So since the turn of this century, however, they've had some better luck come their way, and you were one of the people involved in the franchise's change of fortunes, and you were awarded the NFL Executive of the Year for it in 2000. Uh, What does an award like that mean to you? And now, almost 20 years later, what do you remember about that season? Well, it was probably the highlight of my professional career to that point i mean obviously it was um and maybe to this point for that matter it was uh again a bunch of guys coming together we got there uh they had been four and 12 i believe the year before they had never won a playoff game jim mora jim finks uh, they had got him to the playoffs a few times with some uh pretty good players, pretty good run, but they had never crossed that threshold into being successful in the postseason. It was a great year. You know, Jim Hazlitt was, I think, voted coach of the year that same year. Um, the Rams were kind of in their heyday at the time and were in our division. Um, we ended up playing them back-to-back games, the last game, regular season game, and then the first round of the playoffs. So it was kind of a weird dynamic there as well. We were able to beat them in the playoffs. and uh, It was probably the most fun year of most of our career of everybody that was involved there. And one thing about New Orleans is those people are passionate fans Absolutely. and they were awesome that year. And, and that's really has carried them on for the last decade and a half. You know, uh, we kind of got it started back then, but they've been able to keep it rolling. And some of the people that I hired when I went from Seattle to New Orleans are all still there in prominent roles with the Saints. So I have pride in that too. Now, this may be summing up a long career and a very short question, but you've had to have made thousands of moves in your in your NFL career as a front office, front office executive. Um, but do you have one or two most memorable transactions that you've made in your career, whether it be a trade that paid off many times over or an unexpected player that made you look really good? Well, there's always, I think sometimes the most... The, the most dynamic ones are the ones you don't make, but I don't think that's what you're asking me. I think while we were in Seattle... Uh, 
Obviously, we, we had a couple first-round picks in one year, one that we had acquired a first-round pick from the Bears for Rick Meyer. So we had two mid-round picks that year and were able to maneuver, I think it was 10 and 11 in the draft, up to 3 and 6. And the first uh, pick at 3 was Sean Springs. The sixth pick was Walter Jones. So that ended up working out pretty good for us. Two pro bowlers, maybe a Hall of Famer that might be the best lineman to ever play the game in Walter Jones. So that's up there as well uh, for me as far as being able to uh, say, hey, this might be the best move you've made of your career. We made some other moves along the way that uh, worked out for us, uh, but that's probably the, the icing on the cake, a move like that. I think a lot of sports fans, me included, think that next to being on the field as a player, being a GM and getting to build a pro sports team is a pretty ideal job. Um, you've also had another one of those ideal sports jobs in being on-air talent for ESPN in the mid-2000s. Um, I'll also mention quickly that as a senior in college, you quarterbacked Linfield College to a D2 national championship. Um, so your career isn't nearly over, as you've clearly just undertaken a huge new endeavor in Salt Lake. Um, but looking back at your life in football to date, how do you? is there a way or how do you sum up the success and maybe some of the ups and downs of a football life? Well, it definitely has had some ups and downs. It's I always say, and people ask me, what, what's it been like uh, 35 years? I say, hey, it beats working. <laughs> I think when I realized where, where we came from in that little small town in Idaho, which we go back to and is still home, um, to be able to have 35 years in pro football and really only five of those spent outside the Northwest, that's been prideful for me. Um, all of my time uh, with the Seahawks, a, a run of, I guess, altogether 22 years. Um, and even these last 10 years, while I've been the national scout for the Chargers, I've been able to live in Seattle and spend most of my time in the Northwest. So that's been a, a, a fortunate thing for me. I mean, I'm a Northwest kid. Um, the Northwest will always be home for me, and I'm prideful of that. And I've been able to do that at the same time as have a, a longer NFL-type career. It's been a great ride for me. And you know, I, I think I'm still young enough to where this next chapter might be most exciting of them all, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, you know, as as our two organizations sort of, uh, you know, hopefully provide this this synergy for, for the next uh, generation of, of pro football players, uh, you know, we wish you the best of luck. It's a beautiful time to be in Salt Lake now, and but for me personally, I'm jealous that you get to be there, you know, in February as the snow is falling and, you know, you're 45 minutes from the mountains. Um, but we'll let you get back to building your team. And, you know, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Thanks, Alex. I've enjoyed it. Anytime. All right. That will bring us to the end of our 20th episode. Thanks to Randy for joining us on the pod. And I, for one, am really looking forward to seeing how this league unfolds, and especially the spring league players that will get additional opportunities to both earn a living playing football while still having their sights set on the highest level of the game. You can follow the Spring League on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the Spring League. You can follow me on Instagram at Alex Goldstick and on Twitter at AG Stick. All music was provided to Spring Forward by Joshua Rosner. Stay tuned for more stories from the Spring League. Later.